Please be seated. Lamentations chapter 3 this evening, Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. This is where we find ourselves. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now, and if you uh, just wave to them, they'll uh, get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from uh, the Lord to you uh, this evening. We remember that uh, the book of Lamentations is uh, made up of five uh, funeral dirges that Jeremiah uh, writes by the Spirit of God following the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. He, is, uh, he was um, in his pa- uh, prophetic ministry. He was called to oversee uh, the death of a nation, and not just any nation, but uh, the nation of, of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, God's people. And now uh, the Babylonians having come in and uh, completely conquered uh, Jerusalem and displaced the people, the Jewish people there, taking them into Babylonian captivity. He writes now these dirges, these laments uh, over the fall, the destruction, the death of uh, Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 3, you know, I'd, we're kind of caught in between here in terms of trying to do 3, 4, and 5 uh, tonight, but it would just be to rush through them. So we'll just look at taking uh, one, uh, one of these chapters this evening uh, in the form of, of chapter 3. And chapter 3 is unique among, uh, among the five dirges. The first four of them are all acrostics. They Uh, The first two chapters made up of 22 verses, each beginning with succeeding letters of, uh, each verse with succeeding letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You notice that there's 66 verses in chapter uh, 3, where three verses are, uh, you know, assigned uh, to each of those, uh, uh, the uh, uh, letters in the alphabet uh, sequentially. Jeremiah begins uh, chapter 3, and it's probably the most personal of all of the three dirges, and he begins it by saying, I am the man. And uh, Jeremiah now describes here uh, the personal price that he paid uh, to be God's man, uh, to be God's voice, to be God's prophet in the middle of a nation that had a tremendous godly heritage, every advantage, uh, every reason for their prosperity and their blessing, all owed to God. And now he was forced to uh, witness for some 40 to 50 years, prophesying against their apostasy and their backsliding. They would not repent even under his influence and the influence of other uh, prophets as well and continued headlong uh, into uh, their destruction. The, uh, and and I, I think that it's uh, wise for us to make the book of Lamentations and the book of Jeremiah a friend to us in uh, our current uh, age in, in American history, where we are watching by the week, uh, though I think it's slowed down recently in the last year or so, by the week, uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic, the biblical foundation of our nation, all of the reasons, all of the things that have made this country great, all of it comes from God in terms of the natural resources to the wisdom, uh, to the godly character uh, of, of the people. There was more and more uh, the epidemic of the world that we live in, but it's certainly epidemic in our country where uh, the sacrifice that individuals would make for the good of the whole realizing if the whole is healthy and it is growing, then all of us will go along and, and, and rise. And that's being displaced now by the self is supreme. I am supreme. The individual is supreme. 
and uh, you can't, uh, that ultimately has to end up in a splintering. But we find ourselves very much uh, where we are in terms of the season of Jeremiah's ministry, in terms of where we are as a nation in our apostasy and turning away from God and, and so forth. You can guess for yourself. But we are on that, on that track, and barring a revival, we are uh, currently in our point in human history where God has called us to live for Him. We are overseeing a very uh, uh, slow but uh, uh, steady uh, death of a nation in terms of its godly heritage and its godly uh, foundation. It is a, it is a slow uh, decline uh, at the moment simply because uh, we are in the Western world is so wealthy that we're able to uh, hide the kind of problems that are occurring. For instance, for us as a nation, we have the ability to hide the, the devastation, not to completely hide it, but to keep it off of the headlines. The absolute devastation that has come upon our nation with the overthrow and the breakdown of the family unit as God defines it. Right now, because we're $20 trillion in debt and we think nothing of adding trillions to that uh, in order to keep this whole thing going, no country is rich enough or powerful enough uh, to um, uh, supplement or subsidize the breakdown of the family unit. It is the cornerstone of civilization. It is the cornerstone uh, of society. And yet, for now, we have the ability uh, to take and dole out money and pretend that there aren't uh, great consequences to uh, the path that we're on. And it goes from there into all kinds of areas within within our culture. But one day, it all explodes. And just like it did with Judah, that may not be in our lifetimes. I don't know. Uh, but but it, it blows up. The interesting thing is, as we see with Jeremiah here, we are in chapter 3, by the way. This is not, there's a, a reason behind everything that I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a good reason, but it is a reason. Um, but one of the things that's interesting when you find yourself in Jeremiah's place, and we may very well be in Jeremiah's place, you probably already, as a Christian, are feeling the pressure upon your own life as you live the Christian life and as you walk the talk. And, uh, but ultimately, the blow-up comes to the culture. Ultimately, Babylon, some Babylon comes in and overthrows uh, this kingdom that is uh, rotted from the inside out. It's a historical pattern. And, uh, and so, ultimately, that happens. Ultimately, uh, they do have to pay the piper. Ultimately, uh, the, the judgment, it comes in all of its ferocity uh, upon the nation that does what Judah is doing here. But before that hour comes. It's never hardest upon the nation. It's always hardest upon God's people within that nation while that end approaches, uh, because they do uh, with us what they did with Jeremiah, and that is to marginalize our voice, marginalize our influence, the fact that we are salt and light uh, to get rid of us, to imprison and so forth, whatever it might be, the different forms of, of, of imprisonment to, to silence the voice and the influence. And all of these things, we feel those things happening to us now. Uh, every voice is given a platform. Every voice is applauded except the voice of the Christian and the voice of the person who claims the Bible uh, as an authority.
authority for what it is that they're saying. So in this season of 40 to 50 years that Jeremiah was in, for most of that time, the the southern kingdom of Judah was going on swimmingly. They were paying no great price uh, for that. It was God's people that were paying the price. And I would contend that you could lay a case for that, that we find ourselves very much in the middle of it. And we get of the very same thing. And here Jeremiah gives us a glimpse at his, uh, his heart here uh, in terms of what it cost him to stay faithful to God and to God's call upon his life in the middle of this uh, kind of a decline. And I think it certainly has uh, a great uh, uh, deal uh, to, uh, to, to say to us. I think that these, and, and basically he describes this in verses 1 uh, through Uh, 18, and I don't know why I've never heard these verses taught at a pastor's conference or a ministry conference because uh, they're absolutely rich in what they have to say to us um, in our uh, our service to the Lord. He says, I am a man uh, who has seen affliction by the rod of his that is God's wrath. In other words, he's saying that, uh, yes, the nation is suffered under the, the wrath of God and, and his discipline of the people, but he, because God had called him to minister to these people, he suffered affliction along with everyone else, though righteous, though not partaking uh, in, in those uh, sins. The rod, you might recognize, as David wrote in Psalm 23, thy staff and thy rod, and thy rod they comfort me. The staff is well known, a shepherd's staff. A rod was simply kind of a long, uh, like a, a, a ball, a big ball on the end, and then a long kind of handle related to it. And the shepherd would use it to throw it at a sheep that was uh, uh, wandering out of the way. It was, a, it was a means of chastisement or bringing people into life or bringing sheep into line uh, who were wandering. And uh, as God uh, brought his affliction and wrath upon the nation, uh, even the righteous were forced to uh, bear some of those consequences. Verse 2, he has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. He compares his, uh, his experience uh, to being uh, living in darkness as, as opposed uh, to light. Uh, Judah and Jerusalem had become very, very dark places morally and spiritually. It's tough for us when we uh, sit and we read these passages and we don't engage in idolatry in the same way that they did in those days, where they would have these little idols in their homes and on the corners, the street corners and so forth, as they filled all of Judah and filled uh, Jerusalem. For us, idolatry doesn't take the form of a statue. Most of it we see on some form of electronics or so forth or uh, idolizing some particular possession and, and, and the sin that is, is kind of um, uh, flows from so much of this uh, today. But uh, here, here Judah and Jerusalem, very, very dark places morally and spiritually uh, for Jeremiah to have to serve in and to minister to the Lord in. And I think that all of us can feel as Christians we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We recognize the encroachment of darkness in the country that God has called us to serve God in and to be a witness to Him. We feel it becoming progressively dark morally and spiritually, and so we feel the same thing that Jeremiah did. And it isn't easy. It isn't easy. Uh, It takes its toll upon us as Christians day by day. 
We not only have to work and to function and put bread on the table and raise our children and give attention to our marriages and so forth and all, all of these kind of things, but then we have to give attention and allocate resources to watching uh, something that we're aware of that the culture isn't even aware of, the, the looming disaster that will come uh, without, uh, without repentance. And so, the, the environment that Jeremiah was in, there, it's not an easy environment to serve the Lord in. And it took its toll on Jeremiah, and he mentions it. He wants us to know uh, that it took its toll on him, and it takes its toll upon us as well. I think about God as He sends missionaries all around the world, and He sends people in uh, to the darkest of cultures and situations, and, and those missionaries pay a great price, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to serve God uh, in, in those environments. And we're becoming uh, more familiar with what, those, what that feels like uh, just as citizens in the United States uh, of America. He goes on in verse 3, and he says, Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again uh, throughout the day. Uh, at times, Jeremiah in his ministry, uh, the hardship it, it became so great that he endured that he felt as if God was uh, chastening uh, him. Uh, and because the nation would not repent and God was forced to continually chasten the nation, uh, Jeremiah, though righteous, was, was forced to bear the brunt of it uh, as well. And sometimes it's like that in our service to the Lord. And we look at it and, and hardship comes into our life and it can be God's chastening upon a culture and we can wonder, begin to take it personally. God, is this, am I out of line? Or, uh, uh, and and, uh, and and, and are you chastening me when, when in, in fact, that's not what's really happening, but he's experiencing the chastening uh, that's going on in the peoples around him, but God has called him to witness to him uh, in that situation. Verse 4, he declared, he, speaking of God, has aged my flesh and my skin. So this was way before these spas and everything that are around uh, today, and he's broken my bones. This is, uh, this is powerful. Uh, you talk to virtually, again, any missionary, and uh, increasingly so of our lives as well. And Jeremiah, uh, he spoke about the fact that his faithfulness to God and God's call upon his life, that it had taken a toll upon his health. He describes premature aging here. And I don't think there's a missionary in, in a, in a non-Western part of the world that spends any length of time in that part of the world and doesn't realize I am probably going to die in, in one sense, a premature death by virtue of spending my life in this place, among this disease, among this hardship and this difficulty, and, uh, and, and how being faithful to God uh, produces a a premature a can, a premature aging. He's, as he speaks about his bones being broken, this calling, it kind of crushed him and it, it broke him physically. But I don't think this is just true of Jeremiah, you know, some thousands of years ago. Uh, again, I think that it's increasingly true of all of us that want to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Uh, we will pay a price for it. And there's no escaping that price as the culture moves in a different direction from the direction that God has called us uh, to make a stand and that uh, it can end up, uh, you know, us paying a physical price to stay faithful to God's calling. Then so it is. Then the price is paid. Um, our lives are bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. He can spend them any way that He wants to. 
He can make them as long as He likes or as short as He likes. He can plant us anywhere that He wants to. And, um, and the hardship of all of this was not a reason, though Jeremiah wanted out repeatedly in his, uh, in his uh, book of Jeremiah, we saw, wanted to complete, uh, often out of the calling. And even this hardship uh, upon his body was not a reason to quit the ministry that God had called him to. Verse 5, he has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and with woe. So he likens himself to a city that's under siege uh, here, and the idea is that he's surrounded by the grief and the, the, uh, the weariness of the city, the deprivation of the city. Remember, he is witnessing to God in the latter part of the fall of the, uh, of the city of Jerusalem. He is in a place where everybody is skin and bones but the king. Everybody is, is, uh, is experiencing starvation. Uh, women are eating their children in the city of Jerusalem. This is the kind of environment that Jeremiah was ministering in. And in, in uh, as they were bearing the consequences of, of the sin and the judgment. And so you, uh, as he tries to describe it here, it almost would be like post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome. I'm not saying that he had it, but you realize what he was seeing, what he was witnessing every day uh, in, in his ministry and how hard it was uh, for, uh, for him uh, to witness that, and again, the toll that it took upon him. And, and we think about, again, our own lives, the toll that it takes upon us uh, to be faithful to uh, God's calling. It's interesting, every once in a while, uh, George Barner or someone will do a, a, um, a, a, a poll, and they'll uh, poll pastors, for instance, in the United States of America, and uh, how many of you like what you're doing? How many of you would get out if you could, and so forth? And uh, you, and then how many of them are are quitting uh, every year? And that number is astonishingly high in the United States of America. But uh, you would be shocked, uh, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, but at the number of pastors in the United States of America who say, "I would get out of this if I could earn a living in some other way than doing this." Uh, they are, are staying in that. It's not a healthy situation at all, uh, but the problems that can be uh, within a local church, the problems of standing for God in the middle of this culture, and a culture that affects the congregation. It isn't like it doesn't come into the church, these attitudes and so forth, and, and, um, and just that uh, the toll that it takes uh, upon not only pastors, but everyone as we're faithful uh, to the Lord. He describes in verse 6, he says, and he has set me in a dark place like the dead of long ago. He felt like a dead man in a tomb or in a dungeon. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, something I don't want to think about. <laughs> you know, I was like, if I'm going to, uh, uh, if I have my preference in terms of how I'm going to die, I don't know what it would be. I haven't given it much thought. But one of them would not be to be kind of buried alive in a coffin someplace and, and feel like a, a dead man in a tomb or a dungeon. But he's, he, he's talking about how hopeless he, he feels as he's going through his ministry. Uh, it, is, it is taking such a, a toll upon him. He feels like he's in this death-like uh, uh, state. And I think that this speaks to the fact that uh, in, in being faithful to his calling, for Jeremiah, it was harder than death. And I think that ultimately all of us, as we, as we serve the Lord in his call upon our lives, uh, serving the Lord becomes harder than dying. You remember Jeremiah called on God. Uh, he, he wouldn't take his own life. 
but he called on God repeatedly to take his life, to bring an end to the difficulty and the hardship of his calling and of, uh, of his, uh, his, his ministry. And uh, I think that, you know, very often we begin the, our service to the Lord, whatever it might be, and we've got all kinds of motivations in our, uh, in our mind. Some of them are good motivations, they're godly motivations. Others are not uh, so godly of, of motivations. You know, we want to be known, we want to be recognized, we want to be used by God and see our name in print or on the marquee or something like that. And, uh, but ultimately, over the long haul of all of our ministries, all of these other motives, when, when it goes from months to years and then into decades, uh, the long haul of things, when, when you're really being faithful to what God has called us uh, to do, there's only one motive that survives all of the refining, and that is simple obedience. I must do this to simply obey God in, in His call uh, uh, upon uh, my life, and, and e even to the point where you can reach a place where you say, I would rather die than continue, but I cannot quit because this is His call uh, upon, upon my life. Again, it's words on a page, and uh, how can you communicate? How can Jeremiah communicate if we've never been close to that kind of thing in our lives? But it's good for us to realize that if in our ministries we reach that place, that we realize this is not uncommon for people like us who've been called to uh, live for the Lord in the environment He's called us uh, to live for, uh, for Him in. I remember years ago I mentioned Pastor Romaine, uh, uh, Pastor Chuck's assistant for so many years in Southern California. Uh, I mentioned him this morning in an illustration, but I, I think of him in this vein as well. And Pastor Romaine was not a great encourager in ministry. Uh, he, he, he basically looked at anybody that wanted to be a pastor, go into the ministry. He would basically tell them, stop wasting my time, uh, get out of here, uh, because all I'll have to end up doing is pick up after you. He didn't have a high view of pastors and uh, their work ethic. He realized they want, to just, they want to be great. They want a big church. They want, they want, they want. And he says, you just make more work for me. So, he would basically do everything he could to um, uh, discourage a person from entering into pastoral ministry and, uh, and figured that if he could talk them out of it, uh, just by talking them out of it, then they didn't have what was necessary to, to move forward in it or, or to survive in it. And one of the things that I like about these verses is you have this very candid description of what serving the Lord is like. And just because we may not face certain things in our country that Christians do in another part of the country, it doesn't mean that that same godly character and that same willingness uh, to spend our lives one day at a time in, in serving to the Lord, that commitment should be any less than, than any other Christians. And I, um, I, I, I find the older that I get uh, that, you know, it used to be somebody would say, hey, I think I want to be this or that, and hey, praise the Lord, go for it, it's going to be great. I just, I, praise the Lord, go for it. I don't tell them it's going to be great anymore. Uh, I, 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 I don't want to discourage people from their calling, uh, but I don't want to get, give them the idea that this is going to be some kind of a cakewalk. It is to serve the Lord is a long, slow, public death. 
and that's what it is, and that's what it's supposed to be. And, uh, and Jeremiah, uh, he felt uh, the weight of it. He said, he has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain uh, heavy. So he felt here, <laughs> interesting, he, he felt like a prisoner of God's uh, calling. You remember as we looked at Jeremiah, how many times he attempted to escape God's calling. I quit. That's it. I'm done talking. And then the prophecies became fire in his bones, and he couldn't help but speak them. But, but he, he, uh, there came a point in time where the price that he was paying in order to serve the Lord became so great, he endeavored to quit. But God would not let him quit. Now, this is almost funny in a sick way. You begin, you know, as a brand-new Christian. It's wonderful I'm not putting it down. But you begin as a grand new Christian, and Lord, my life is yours, and I give it to you, and however you want to spend my life, and then God makes clear to us how he wants us to spend our life. Here's the calling that I'm going to make upon your life, and you say, yes, Lord, I will do that. I will spend my life doing this thing. And then we start to do it, and he's so gentle with us early on as he's training us up and he's refining our motives and so forth and all, and then comes the day where the personal price that is paid in order to be faithful for the calling becomes so great that now you want to quit. And uh, I don't know if you realize it, but many pastors, uh, they quit every Monday. Every Monday, they hand in their resignation. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. Uh, some of them uh, still love it. They don't want to quit on Mondays, and uh, they're just not at the end yet for where they ultimately will end up. But but there, uh, then we want to quit what God is, what, what, uh, as we see, this isn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. This isn't as, as, you know, personally enriching. I feel like I'm dying on a daily basis being faithful to this calling. And then you try to quit. And then you discover that God takes our commitment to him to serve in the rest of the days of our life in that calling more seriously than we do. And now he won't let you quit. And in the beginning, you never thought you'd ever come to that place where he would hold you to it, but then he holds you to it. He won't let you quit, and there, there's no uh, weaseling out of it. There's no moving away from it, and Jeremiah repeatedly tried to get out from under this calling, and God would not let it happen. And the same thing happens uh, in, in our lives. The, calling, uh, the giftings and the callings of God are without repentance. And when we make that commitment later, when we want to kind of renege on that, that commitment, God says, no way, I'm not going to let you do it. And then you realize, you think, well, if I'd have known this, I'd have never said all those other things so many uh, years ago. And uh, here, Jeremiah, uh, he, God hedged him in. He can't get out of it, and God's chain was heavy. Verse 8, even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. There was times where he felt as if God wasn't listening to uh, his prayers. And sometimes that happens uh, even when we're right in God's will, as Jeremiah was. It's, it, we're praying, and the environment is so hard. The trial is so difficult. The, the challenges are so great. It seems as if uh, God isn't listening uh, to us. It's a part of the ministry. And I remember listening, I was a brand new uh, Christian and uh, eager to serve the Lord. And by the way, I'm more eager to serve the Lord today than ever before and more committed to it than ever before. It's just in a different way now. 
and, um, and in a better way now. But I remember listening to a Calvary Chapel pastor. They had the cassette tapes back then. And if I mentioned his name, everyone, most of you would know his name. I just like to say that uh, and then not tell you because it really bugs some of you. Um, <laughs> like it would bug me. But I remember just for his own privacy, though he said it publicly, but, um, you know, he, uh, he talked about uh, early in his pastorate where he went through a two-year period where he never sensed God, never sensed his, his presence, never sensed answer to prayer, never sensed his uh, sense of favor, had no feeling to kind of go with. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's a long period of time to not feel that kind of affirmation from God. The church was growing like crazy. There was fruit all over the place. There was plenty to encourage him uh, in, in that way. Uh, but uh, it can be a, a very kind of lonely place in, in that way, uh, privately uh, uh, with the Lord. And I guess the Lord was probably teaching him to walk by faith and not, uh, not by feelings and, and so forth. But he, he learned the lesson well. I was thankful that he he uh, shared that so that when each of us hit those seasons in our, our ministries and it feels like, uh, you know, this, uh, the heavens are as brass, it feels like he's not hearing our prayers, it feels like, you know, week in and week out we're just going through the motions, we don't uh, sense this affirmation or we don't sense some massive, you know, emotional kind of thing that he pours out upon us and to know that's just part of the deal, that's just him developing our faith and nurturing uh, our faith. Jeremiah felt it as well. He has blocked um, uh, my ways with hewn stone. He has made uh, my uh, paths uh, uh, crooked. And so, again, his desire to escape the calling, and, uh, but, uh, but every path uh, was uh, closed off uh, to him as a result. He has made, he has been to me a bear lying in wait. That's another thing I don't want to ever experience in life. Uh, and a lion uh, in ambush. He's talking about God. This is how at times in his ministry he felt this is what God was like to him. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. Uh, he has bent his bow and set me up as a target for uh, the arrow. And so he, he felt like uh, his, his ministry was this constant flow of surprise ambushes by God of unpleasant kind of uh, circumstances that came uh, into his life. And so uh, God had called him in, into uh, uh, the ministry that he had called him into. And as you remember, Jeremiah's life was in constant danger as a result uh, of the calling and, uh, and sometimes Jeremiah, not only the people turning on him the way that they did, uh, but he felt as if God was taking a target practice at him as well. Verse 13, and he has caused uh, the arrows uh, of his quiver uh, to pierce my loins. In other words, uh, serving the Lord, it produced great uh, wounds, deep wounds in his life. And so he's speaking of the sorrows that pierced his life as a result of, of being a prophet. And it was a, a, a very, very uh, uh, painful, uh, painful calling. We remember Jesus. He's uh, a man of sorrows, described as such, acquainted uh, with grief. One of the things that Jeremiah faced, and, and most of us will face it, certainly every, other, every pastor uh, will face it in terms of the great wounds that occur within life, is, is not just what's done to us, but just what we become aware of. Uh, 
And uh, I think that the average pastor probably is aware of ten times more um, tragedy, more hardship that's happening in people's lives, the trials that they're facing and so forth, than the average person uh, uh, faces. And there's a, a toll. There's a, there are wounds that are uh, a part of all of that. I have become the ridicule of those dirty Philistines. No, that, that you can understand. Uh, he said, I become the ridicule of all my people. Not some of them, all my people. Talking about the Jews, talking about God's people, this calling as he's being faithful to God's call upon his life. You'd think the Jews would understand. They'd be the ones that would look and be a comfort to him. They weren't. They ridiculed him. Uh, God's people, their, uh, their taunting song, I've become their taunting song uh, all of the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink uh, wormwood. And so uh, he, he talks about his calling meant experiencing kind of uh, the bitter taste of, of ridicule, the bitter taste of, uh, of the mocking uh, of others in his life. I, there are, uh, having walked with the Lord and, and been a part of the body of Christ for uh, decades now, um, there are times when I wonder uh, on, on a certain level uh, if the world is not nicer uh, to its own people uh, than Christians are to one another. And I think especially in this area of ridicule and, and gossip and slander and the, and the taunting of other people and so forth to their face or behind their back, to me it's the great blemish upon the body of Christ how casually we gossip and we slander and we tear people down and we destroy lives as if they're uh, robots of some kind and it's never going to come around to them and it's never ever going to hear them. And maybe it's just because I'm not around the world as much as I used to be, but I, I lived a long time uh, in the world before I became a Christian and uh, co-workers at the phone company in lots of different places and I found uh, sometimes a greater loyalty between an out-and-out -out pagan toward another out-and-out -out pagan, uh, that they would never do to one another what we readily do as Christians. And as, as Jeremiah describes, was uh, done to him here. And I think it's an important thing for us, us, us to watch related uh, to that. I can say with all honesty that, uh, and openness that uh, the overwhelming majority of the people that I respect most in life are all Christians, and uh, the people who I have the least respect for in life are all also Christians. And uh, it's a terrible thing to be able to say and for the body of Christ to be the kind of place that meets out the kind of damage that uh, I, I don't say here, uh, but that it can sometimes happen. And, and, and there's a, a world of people who serve the Lord, served for years, and driven out of their service, whether in children's ministry or wherever it might be in Christian service, driven out by this very same kind of thing, the ugliness of the Christian, not uh, spiritual warfare or demonic oppression or, uh, or the, the pagan world that they're fighting against, but then to finally come into contact with the body of Christ and say, this place is crueler than anything I run into uh, anywhere else in the world in the course of the week. And Jeremiah found that, and, and we ought to 
be very, very careful of it. Verse 16, he said, he has broken my teeth with gravel and covered me uh, with ashes. And so, uh, ministry can involve broken teeth and ashes, which refers to mourning. The reference to gravel, you remember in the book of Jeremiah, where at the end of uh, the siege of of Jerusalem, uh, you know, grain and wheat and bread, very, very scarce. And, and so they were making these bread or these rolls or, uh, and so forth anywhere that they could, just putting the, the dough right out on, on the street or where there was gravel. Gravel would get mixed up in it. And uh, Jeremiah here is the king allots him a small piece of bread each day and some water to say st- sustained. And think of yourself, absolutely starving, uh, starving to death. And here is some bread that is given to you for that day, and you bite into it, and you've you've ever been hungry, even hungry, not even starving, and how you you begin to voraciously bite and chew upon that bread and upon that food, and then uh, biting down so hard and wanting to assimilate all of it, and then to find a rock within it, and now uh, you, you know, you break a tooth, as, as evidently Jeremiah had in, in, uh, in all of this, and, and then the mourning of, of the, whole, uh, the whole scene of, of the deprivation that he was in the middle of and all. It reminds me of a saying that, that you might like, any day uh, that your teeth don't hurt is a good day. Uh, so, and uh, Jeremiah, uh, that wasn't always his portion uh, either. And so he closes this section. We may not get through the chapter tonight just to give some of you hope. Um, but in verse 17, you have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and, uh, and my hope have perished from the Lord. And so here he reaches this place as he describes just honestly from his own uh, heart with all of the conflict and all of the confrontation, all the deprivation, all of the mocking of the people and so forth. He describes the, the discouragement had become so great that he, he even gave up hope of even receiving any kind of deliverance from God in the middle of the whole uh, situation. And then in verse 19, now in verse 18, having mentioned the Lord, uh, this triggers now something in his thinking as he's writing this lament. Remember my affliction and roaming, uh, the wormwood and the gall, my, sto- my soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. And so, uh, with the mention uh, of, of God and all of this, uh, he, he begins to, he, he's fully facing all of the hardship that he had faced, the toll that had taken a, a, upon him. But uh, at the mention of God, hope is restored here. The old saying is when, the, you know, the outlook is bad, try the uplook, and that's kind of what happens in Jeremiah. He's, he's laying out this lament, this honesty, and then he mentions God in it, and the very mention of God in, in, in the midst of all of it uh, sparks now this, uh, this, uh, this faith that gets kind of explodes uh, within him. He said, rem- uh, and 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 occurs here in verses 19 and 20, and that's 19, 20, and 21, and that's that's the way uh, as he begins to describe the cause for 
uh, for hope in a humanly hopeless kind of situation. And you notice that hope frames the section. You see hope is the final word of, uh, of, uh, of verse 18, or the first line of verse 18, the end of verse 21, and then it, it, it is in the final sentence of verse uh, 24. And there's hope because now in the midst of all this, he starts to put God uh, into his uh, his thinking. God comes into even the difficulty of this trial. I think that there's a, many, many times through the years, you know, we officiate here at the church um, through the years a lot of memorial services where people have, uh, have died and, and uh, gone on into eternity, and most of them into heaven. And, um, and so, you know, we officiate over those services and so forth, and, and we're always faithful. Um, with, uh, because the, the family always wants us to, but faithful to bring the Lord into the, in, into the situation, into the circumstance. There's hope here. Um, there's victory in the air because of this person's uh, faith in the Lord. But a lot of times I've been in, a, in, in other places where there have been memorial services and God never gets mentioned. It's just like here's this person and, 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 and they've, uh, they've died here. They've lived this ungodly life. And nobody has anything good to say about the deceased and the, the person that's officiating the service kind of goes through the motions. Everyone is dismissed. And by the way, there's ham and cheese sandwiches out uh, in the foyer. Enjoy yourself. And uh, everybody leaves and it's just this very, very grim experience. I don't know how many of you have been uh, to a memorial service where there's no God in the memorial memorial service. It's about as awful of, of a thing that you, a, a, um, a weighty, uh, a disheartening kind of experience that I think a Christian can, can ever experience. And then at other services, here you have somebody who's died. They're a patriarch. They're a matriarch. They're a great a child of God. The loss is immense in the hearts of everyone that is in the room, and, and they're facing that loss, and there's tremendous uh, you know, difficulty and brokenheartedness over all of that. And then someone uh, rises up and begins to speak about their faith, begins to speak uh, about God, about the victory of God, Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And all of a sudden, there's this life that comes uh, into the room, and how you can be saved too by putting your faith in the Lord. And it's like an F 16 is just flown right through the room, you know, in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what happens with Jeremiah, not exactly, but I mean very much like what happens to Jeremiah here. Now God gets reintroduced uh, into uh, the situation, and he begins, and very famous verse, verse 22, begins to uh, give the reasons for why uh, he, he and we can hope in God uh, in an otherwise uh, absolutely hopeless uh, situation. And why uh, he's speaking for himself here in these verses, but he's also speaking for uh, the nation of, of Israel uh, as well, and why uh, we can have hope in any situation that we're involved in. And he says in verse 22, uh, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness as he prays to God. The Lord is my portion, says the Lord, and therefore I hope in him. And there's four things that Jeremiah's mind goes to 
that revives hope in his life concerning uh, the situation that he uh, found himself in. And you notice the first one is uh, the mercy of God. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not uh, consumed. If God had not been merciful to the uh, uh, children of Israel in uh, Judah and Jerusalem, he would have destroyed every one of them. As bad as the destruction was, as bad as the judgment was, every one of them deserved uh, to not even survive uh, what came uh, upon them. They would have all been wiped from uh, the face uh, of the earth. The fact of the matter is that the, they, they all deserve more than what happened to them, and, uh, and what is true of them, of course, is also true of us, no matter how uh, you know, uh, good any of us are in comparison uh, to one another. Uh, sometimes you'll ask a Christian, you'll say, you know, how are you doing? And uh, some, uh, some guys will respond consistently, better than I deserve. Uh, that's someone who understands this verse. You know, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm talking with the Lord, I'm moving forward, but even in that, uh, the life that I'm living is better than I deserve because of the mercy of God uh, in our lives. And so it gives us hope, not only as we're in Jeremiah's place, but hope for the nation of Judah, that there was, uh, there was still mercy to be had uh, in their backslidden state as they would turn to the Lord. He then spoke about the fact that God's compassions uh, fail not. And that word compassion is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It speaks of how warm and strong his love is toward us uh, as his children. And I love any description that God gives us in his word uh, that uh, kind of enlarges my understanding of, of his uh, of his uh, love. The word that he uses there for compassion, it comes from a Hebrew word that basically means uh, the womb. And you think about uh, how warm and how loving an environment the womb is. And you think about how great a mother's love is toward her unborn child, and, and God is speaking through Jeremiah to declare to us uh, that that is God's compassion. That's the same thing that he feels for, uh, towards us as well. He didn't carry any of us nine months in uh, some womb of his own in order for us to be uh, a part of his family, but he did uh, pay an even greater price than that for that to happen and the death, burial, and resurrection of his uh, son on the cross to make all of that possible. He then declares the fact that uh, as if uh, the mercy of God and the compassions of God, uh, you know, having that brought to our remembrance was enough, he reminds us that these things are new every morning in our lives. Why would God's compassion and his mercy need to be new every morning in our lives except that we uh, need them to be new every morning in our lives? So, we have New Year's Eve and then the new year, resolutions are being made and so forth, and, uh, and there is the, uh, you know, the, uh, one of the great things about the, the ending of one year and the start of another year is that there's kind of this turning over a new leaf. I've got a new reference point to have a new start on my life, and people take advantage of that by making resolutions that none, nobody will ever keep and then uh, condemns them, and then they've got to wait 364 more days uh, to, to now uh, do it all over again. But for the child of God to realize that no matter how badly I have failed, 
and uh, how miserable the, the previous day was. And I don't know if you've ever had those kind of days, but I have those kind of days. And, and then to realize that each morning we wake up to uh, a fresh dose of His uh, mercy and of His, uh, uh, of his compassion uh, for us. And then he, he describes the fact that great is God's faithfulness, that God is faithful, that He will never fail us, He will never uh, let us down. And you stop and you think about those things, about the, the mercy of God, the compassions of God, how they're new every morning, the greatness of God's uh, faithfulness, and, and you think about how wonderful those things must have, uh, the, uh, those things would have been for Israel and Judah to hear in the circumstances that they were in the backslidden state uh, that they were in. But you think about how much it, it means to each of us as Christians as well. None of us, I hope, are in the place of, of Judah here tonight, but all of us, sooner or later, this verse ends up be a series of three verses ends up becoming a, a, a favorite of ours uh, simply because of, of, um, of the fact that we're aware of how much we need these, uh, these things uh, uh, from Him. Now, uh, he, he then goes on, and we'll just finish with this uh, small section right here. He said, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good for one that one should hope and wait quietly, uh, as opposed to, I guess, waiting loudly. There's some people who wait loudly, don't they? And uh, for the salvation of the Lord, it is good for a man to bear uh, the yoke in his youth. And what uh, Jeremiah is saying is in terms of the mercies of God, in terms of the compassion of God, in terms of the faithfulness of God, in terms of the fact that His mercy and compassion is new and fresh given to us each and every day, uh, Jeremiah is saying uh, that even if it, those things don't seem apparent at the moment and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, they are there uh, and they are coming, the, the necessity of just giving it time. And then one day we will look back upon that season in our life and we will realize it is of the Lord's mercy that we were not consumed. Uh, and because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning and great is His faithfulness. Those four things will have the final say in any difficult season in our life because it describes what He uh, will unfailingly uh, be within, uh, within our lives. Let him sit alone and keep silent. He speaks to uh, Judah here now and, uh, and calls upon Judah to humble herself before the Lord uh, in, in her condition. Uh, let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid this judgment upon him or them. And let him put his mouth to the dust, the, the great gesture of humility and brokenness before God. And uh, there may yet be hope and let them give uh, his cheek to the one who strikes him and uh, be uh, full of reproach. And so Jeremiah recommends to Judah that uh, she, uh, her relationship with God now be marked by humility and brokenness rather than the former arrogance uh, and, and pride. It is interesting that in one of the hardest things to do, I think it's certainly true of us as parents, but it's not limited to just our role as parents, but sometimes when a people or when a person uh, has to go all the way down the way 
uh, that Judah had to go down for them to have their own wake-up call between them and God. One of the hardest things to do is what Jeremiah did, and that is to not try and jump in and give them false words of encouragement or try to fix the problem or to bail them out of the problem that they find themselves in every time. Oftentimes, uh, people, everybody's different in how uh, they learn. Some people don't learn from the mistakes of other people and say, don't want to do that. They have to learn it for themselves. And to not jump in and bail people out before they reach this point in their lives of being broken before God and realizing what has to happen here doesn't going to happen between me and my parents or me or whoever I think I can bail out. This has to happen between me and God. And then to let a person get finally to that place, and it is so hard to withhold help and resources while that happens, but uh, it, it is sometimes necessary, and it was necessary for uh, the, 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 uh, Jeremiah. He said, for the Lord will not cast off forever. The judgment of Judah would not be forever. These are things that are important for us to realize concerning our own lives when we uh, might be coming back from a backslidden state. God doesn't cast off forever, though He causes grief, uh, and He knows how to do that, yet He will show compassion according to the multitude of His mercies. In other words, uh, he, God never chastens us more than is necessary, nor does, uh, for He does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. To crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due a man uh, before the face of the Most High God, or to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not uh, uh, approve. And so God uh, never ever uh, is unjust in His chastening in people's lives or our own. It's always uh, deserved. Uh, one, uh, two more verses, three more verses, and then we get to what is a, a natural break here to begin then uh, uh, next time. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being uh, proceed? And why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? And Jeremiah is saying that it's wrong for a person to rebel against God and then begin to um, pay the price that is always paid for rebelling against God, and then somehow to, to uh, then use God's chastening uh, within their lives to somehow make God the bad guy uh, for disciplining them and themselves the good guy. And, uh, and Jeremiah warns against this. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this uh, through the years. Uh, there's one man that comes immediately to my mind. There was a woman who was in, attended the church at that time many, many years ago. Don't even try to guess. And uh, so, and she had uh, done this thing, and she's, you know, divorcing, and it's a big mess, and she's at fault and the whole everything, and then uh, we have to get involved in it and make a biblical stand related to it. And she went all over the place just uh, defaming us. And, uh, and, and how we had treated her so badly and so this and so that. And, and all it was was just the chastening of the Lord that was upon uh, her life. And I ran into one man who was a friend of mine up to that particular point, and he listened to this whole rap that she had and how she presented herself as the victim and God was so terrible to her and all of this kind of thing. 
And uh, the, the man had up to that point in time in my conversations with, it, with him had shown an interest in knowing the Lord and uh, the God of the Bible and so forth. And from that day forward, he never wanted to hear a word about God again. I could never speak to him again about the things of the Lord. And here he was tainted by someone who is being chastened by God for her own sin, but now she's going to play the victim in the situation and basically to hell with God's reputation or anybody else's reputation. Hers was the most important and the terrible dam damage that was done. And God tells the people of Jeremiah, and he exhorts us as well, is that when God feeds us our lunch because we've uh, forced him to discipline us, to never uh, go around um, uh, portraying ourselves as the victim and discrediting him or making him look bad for what uh, we forced him to do within our lives. We'll stop there, and we'll pick it up in verse 40 and, and have a very comfortable pace for completing the book next time. Let's stand together now, and we'll pray. I asked Mike to add a couple of worship songs to the worship set to begin with because I thought I'd have the chapter done in about 30 minutes, and, uh, and so here we are. I'm, my wife says, you're the world's worst estimator of time, and I plead uh, guilty uh, to that, and uh, so there you have it. But at any rate, we'll, we'll get to it next time, thankful for pauses in the thought progressions of, of the, the book that allows us. Uh, to stop. Lord, thank you so much for your call upon our lives, and I pray that this time that we have spent in looking at the um, tremendous price that Jeremiah paid to stay faithful um, to you in his calling, and then to look at that and to wonder what in the world could ever make uh, all that he endured worth it, and to realize that uh, it is to one day hear what we long to hear ourselves. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And Father, we thank you from our own life experience and our own service uh, to you, all of the ups and downs of it. We thank you as Jeremiah no doubt did for the godly character that we learn when we serve you and when we're forced to grow in a way that we would never otherwise force ourselves to grow. We thank you for the men and women that Christian service and your calling forces us to become and the beauty of that character and the freedom of that character, the glory of it and how it reflects upon you. And we pray for our own lives and commit tonight and whatever we're facing in our call, your call upon our lives to continue on through everything, realizing that it is because of your mercy that we're not consumed and that your compassions fail not. They're new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. And we praise you for those four things that have been lavished upon us day by day in our Christian life. We bless you tonight for this time in your word, and we bless you individually for how good you have been to each one of us. And we bless you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.